Man, well, I am super stoked. And, you know, we like to use a lot of those words here, don't we? Excited, amazed, you know, we like to use really cool, um, what are those, adjectives? I don't know, I don't know. It's been a while since I've had an English class, okay? And so, but I don't think that word truly describes kind of what God has been doing through this message about, uh, through this sermon series about hope of all nations. You know, our e-group, Jackie, Bree, and I, we lead an e-group on Thursday nights. And, you know, through this sermon series, like, we have experienced some amazingly powerful, like, holy moments just in our e-group, in a small group. You know, we're talking about hope. And, and, you know, people just began to open their hearts up. They began to open up and talk and, and, and reveal these areas in, in, in marriages, in families, with kids, in work situations, areas where we're starting to lose hope, where hope is starting to dwindle. And as we prayed together and as we, you know, ministered to one another, it's like the Spirit of God came and He just revived hope. And He just brought hope to life. And it's incredible to see how through that, like, our e-group, it was, it was, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like after we cried together and prayed together and shared our hearts together in that moment, it's like we were a family, you know? It, it went beyond church friend. It went beyond superficial, and it went to a place of, of real authenticity. And there was something powerful that's released when hope is revived in our lives, Amen. And, and that's what I want to talk to you guys today about, is about hope. And how hope, the title of the message, and you can follow along in your outline, which is, which is in your bulletin. And it's, the title of the message is Hope Fosters Closeness. Hope Fosters Closeness. That's a wordy way to say, hope draws us close. Hope draws us close. And as I was preparing, you know, Pastor Hunter asked me to prepare a message, and... Um, you know, quite honestly, I, I struggled for a while. Like, I don't know what to talk about, you know? Like, and I was praying, like, God, give me something, give me something. And he's like, ha-ha, no. And so, you know, I kept praying, like, no, you know, nothing, 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 nothing. And even in my own Bible reading, I've been going through Hebrews. And I'm like, that's the hope book. Like, that's what most of this series has been based on. There are a lot of chapters in Hebrews where it talks about hope. And I'm like, okay, God, like, I have all the right raw material, but where's the revelation? Where's the rhema? What's the word that you want to speak? And so, you know, in typical, very prepared fashion, uh, I had to give it to Pastor Hunter by Tuesday before they left. So Monday night, I'm like, baby, you go watch TV. I'm going to be here praying in the spirit at 930 at night. I got to get a message. (laughs) So very prepared. You know, I was I was I time managed very well. And so I just began, for 30 minutes, I was just praying in the Spirit because I was like, God, I need a breakthrough. And, you know, this is something extra that God's been speaking to me, but sometimes we're praying like, I've prayed it, where I'm like, God, help me, help me, Lord. And it's like, well, he already did. He gave me the Holy Spirit. He gave me the, 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 the gift of speaking in tongues, which builds up my inner man, right? That's what the Bible says, is that, that praying in, in other tongues, it builds up your spirit. It builds up your inner man. So sometimes we're, we're floundering, God, help me. I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, you can, you can access the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of knowledge and revelation and understanding. Amen. And so then I just began to do that because I was like, well, God, I need a lot of wisdom, understanding, and revelation right now. Help, help a brother out, Lord. And, uh, and it, I, I don't know how to describe it other than I got like a download of heaven, you know? It was like this whole message, it's like the Spirit of God possessed these little fingers as I was typing there, and it all wrote out. Because literally, I went to it later, and I'm like, I didn't write that. Like, 
It, it, it just didn't sound like something that I had written, you know, which is good. Praise God. And, um, and it was, it was a, a download of heaven, and it was coming together from all of these different scriptures that I had been reading in Hebrews. It came together from all of these different sermons about hope and how hope, it, it, it ignites our faith, how hope is the pilot light of our faith. And so if it's all right with you guys, uh, we're going to revisit a scripture Pastor Hunter preached last week. And don't worry, I'm not trying to out-preach my pastor. That will not happen. And so he preached from Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. And literally that morning, I was like, ah, yes, Lord, I have a scripture. And then he preached it. I was like, dang it, I don't have a scripture. But when he talked about it, you know, he talked about how last week, how hope is like an anchor for our soul. Do you guys remember that? And how, like an anchor for a ship, it keeps the ship steady amidst tossing waves. And as waves and storms batter the ship, the anchor keeps it steady. And how hope is like that for our souls. And so we're going to revisit that right here, Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. But there's another angle that the Holy Spirit spoke to me from through this. And I want you guys to see it with me. So Hebrews 6, 18 through 20, it says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Amen. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And I want you to see this part right here. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Can you say that name? Melchizedek. I'm going to name my kid that. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not. I'm sorry. But I, there's something that the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that. Because, you know, it's a strong and trustworthy anchor. And Pastor Hunter preached on that. And it was powerful. And we encountered the Holy Spirit. But then it was like that next sentence just jumped at me. It leads us through the curtain. It leads us beyond distance and into close fellowship with God. And I was like, well, God, that doesn't make sense. How does hope do that? Like, I don't know. I don't ever equate hope to intimacy with God. You know what I mean? Like, those are just kind of different things. I just didn't understand it. But then I began to remember, and, and something in me sparked because I remembered that, you know, this message, like this thing about hope and nearness to God it's so intrinsic in my story of how I encountered Jesus, you know, my testimony. Because like many of you know, most of you I would dare say in here know that, you know, my dad is a pastor in New Mexico where we're from. And uh, I grew up in the church. And when you grow up in the church as the pastor's kid, you go to every youth retreat imaginable. I've been there. I've done it. You know, I'm a hardened vet. But I remember going to one, one in particular. And it was called Streams in the Desert. And I remember being at that retreat, and there was a youth band, and they were playing Blessed Be the Name. Do you remember that one? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why they put me behind the drums so I don't sing. But it was Blessed Be the Name. But I remember the Spirit of God just coming on me and convicting me of my sin. It was supernatural. I was weeping in the corner. These people came up, can I, what can we pray for you? And I just remember, you know, nine, like, I was like 13 years old or 12 years old, but I was like, I want to stop cussing. Like, I was so convicted for the words that I used. I was like, God, I want, I want to stop cussing. I want to be a good person. Like, I, I'm looking at 20-year-olds, at 17, 18-year-olds that are really living the gospel. I had never seen that before. 
I'd only seen religion. I'd only seen fake Christianity. I'd only seen Christian on Sunday, party Saturday, and be crazy the rest of the week. That's all I'd experienced. And I went there and I saw youth that were set on fire for God. And it sparked in my spirit and I was repenting. And I remember leaving that service that night going, I never want to leave this place. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back to that old life because I finally found it. Have you ever had that moment where you finally found something real? Like the tangible gospel? But as you can imagine, I went back and uh, didn't keep my encounter alive. And I very quickly fell back into sin. And I remember many years, you know, four or five years going by. And there was always like a hope, like, man, I know that that Jesus is real. I know this gospel is real. But at one point, near, right before I got saved, it was like, you know, it's real, but maybe it's not real for me. I lost hope. I tried to be good for so long. Like, I really, I, I, I tried so hard to, to fulfill the law of God by my own works. And it was miserable. It was hopeless. And you know, I was, I was living in religion. I was so far from God, and I felt far from God. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You know that that is a hopeless place to be. Hopeless. Do you remember what it felt like? Do you remember? Maybe it's years ago. Maybe you're here and right now you feel hopeless in your marriage. You feel hopeless in your job, in your finances. Maybe you feel hopeless in a certain situation. You don't know what to do. And you feel like God is a million miles away. No matter how loud you shout, and I can shout loud, he's not hearing you. But hope draws us into closeness. That's what the Bible says. And you know, Ecclesiastes 2.11, you know, Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read it, it's a very encouraging book. Just kidding. Um, but this kind of encapsulates this feeling of hopelessness. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was really nothing worthwhile anywhere. All right, amen. Have a good day, guys. Just kidding. Just kidding. That would suck. No. <laughs> but you see, that's what life is like when we are far from God. That's what life feels like when we are in religion. And maybe you've given your heart to Jesus, but there are areas of your life where, like I've even been there, there are areas of my life that are still under religion, like I'm having to perform for God. And that's exactly how it feels, meaningless, hopeless. Can I ever get out of this place of distance from God? Because I know the Bible says that I can draw near to him, but I don't feel near. And you know, we... We live in a generation that knows a lot about people. We know a lot about people. Honestly, probably there are a couple of people in here that could pull open and you could tell me what Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church ate for dinner two weeks ago. You could look at his Instagram or he tweeted something and you could tell me. You know about him. You know about his eating habits. You know how shredded he is. Nice beard. You got it all. But do you guys text? Do you FaceTime? Do you go over to him and Holly's house for dinner? I don't. I don't know Pastor Stephen Furtick. I know about him. And many of us, I dare say, live our life with Jesus, knowing a lot about him. And we wonder why we feel so far from God. I can know about, and that's why some of us, some people are living in depression while they are so connected. 
this isn't even a message about social media. I don't know why I'm going there, but we, we, we feel so, we're so connected. I can Instagram, tweet, hashtag, I don't even do that stuff, you know. We can do all of that, but yet we're isolated and lonely. You can know a lot about people. We can know a lot about God. But until we draw near to him, we don't know him. We don't know his heart. We don't know his wants or desires. I lived my life knowing about God. I knew that God liked this and didn't like that. I knew that God wanted this and didn't want that. I knew that was sin and that was not. And so I tried to please him. What is that called? Religion. And it's miserable and it's hopeless. I know, I was there for years. And religion is based on satisfying the law. The law, the old covenant, the old testament, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, the law could never give us hope, guys. The law still can't give us hope. Going to church does not give you hope. It might give you an emotional high, a good pick-me-up, but it won't give you hope. Listening to somebody else's revelation can encourage you. But until we draw near to God ourselves, it won't give us lasting hope. A hope that, that persists and remains. A hope that truly is an anchor for our soul. Until we can draw near to God. It's going to be fleeting emotion. And I don't know about you, but I can't live my life going from emotional high to emotional high to emotional high to emotional high. There's no depth. There's no intimacy. And so Hebrews 8.8, 8, it talks about the law. So it says, but when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. You see, the law itself is not bad. The law itself is perfect and holy. I mean, even Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill its purposes. See, the law is perfect and just. The, the word of God is true, but when we look at it, we're like, man, I can't do that. I can't fulfill that. It's not the law's fault. The problem is God found fault with the people. It's us. It's because we're tainted by sin. Because sin comes in and it warps our hearts and we can't perform for God. I tried to perform for God, and religion leaves us miserable and hopeless living in Ecclesiastes. It's all so meaningless. So the perfect law didn't set us free. That's why God promised in his word, a day's going to come. I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. And so that leads me to my first point now. I like long introductions, apparently. Sorry. The first point, now we have access to a better hope. A better hope. A better hope. Why is this hope better? Let's look at Hebrews seven nineteen. A better hope. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God, a better hope. Well, what's better about this hope? I was asking the Lord, I was like, well, God, that sounds like heresy because I just said that the law is perfect. Why is this new covenant better? And the Holy Spirit was like, was telling me, you know, this hope is better because, you know, when we lived under the law, when we lived under sin, when I was living in sin under the power of sin, I was a slave to sin. 
I was in shackles to sin. I was in shackles to the devil. But when Jesus came, when God became a man, Emmanuel, that's what Christmas is about. When God came to earth, because we couldn't do it, God came close to us through Jesus. We couldn't fulfill the law, so God came to us so that he could fulfill it in all perfection, in all goodness, through which we can draw close to God. So this hope is better. It's a better hope, not because it's a better law or it's a better word of God. It's because now because of the blood of Jesus, he makes us righteous in his blood. He washes us clean and the power of sin and hell is broken over us. And so now we truly can draw near to God because friends, let me tell you, when we live under the law, when we live under religion, when we live that life, there is no possible way that we can get close to God. It is impossible because God is perfect and we are not. But now we have this better hope because now I no longer rely on my performance to please God. I'm no longer trying not to sin. Now I get to live my life in the reality that his perfect blood washes me clean, that his perfect blood sets me free. And I can draw near to my maker. I can draw near to my father. I can draw near to my savior. And I don't just know about his wants and desires. I know him. There's something that, you know, I started to do Sometimes when I'm in, you know, and I, I get emotional. If you don't know, musicians, we're typically very emotional, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, when I get in emotional state, you know, one of the things I do, instead of, like, blasting off and, like, being crazy or, or like, treating my wife bad or whatever, you know, like, not angry bad, but, like, just being emotional, just being dramatic. When I feel like that, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm worthless. Nobody pays attention to me, you know. Like, oh, no one appreciates my giftings and talents. Man, some of us live in that place. Maybe you need to hear this today. Whoo, Jesus. You know, some of us, <laughs> we live in that place. Where it's like, oh, well, no one notices my talents and my gifts. When will they call me forth to preach? When will they see that I am the anointed one? Or when are they going to let me lead worship finally? They can hear my golden pipes. But when I get there, one of the things I started to do is I, I would just pray, God, when I'm feeling hopeless and emotional, I'm like, God, what do you think of me? I ask him, God, I'm thinking crazy things, but what do you think of me? You see, when we know about people, that question has no uh, ground to stand on. There, there is no depth of relationship. If, if somebody I never knew came up and said, Caleb, what do you think of me? I'd go, that's a nice shirt you have on there, sir. I, there's no depth of relationship. But when we're near to God, we can ask him, God, Father, Lord, Jesus, Holy Spirit, so many words that we pray, what do you think of me? And you know, you might be surprised with how God answers you. I dare say that you will be surprised. Because I was. I'm an emotional wreck. I'm like, God, what do you think of me? And sometimes he just comes as his son. And he begins to remind me of his promises and his word. Because there's a depth now of closeness. You see, we can live a life of ever-growing intimacy with God through the blood of Jesus. You say, Caleb, how is this a message about hope? I mean, it's in Hebrews 1, but 2, like, 
What is more hopeful than the gospel of Jesus Christ? What has the power to resurrect dead hope in us than the gospel of Jesus Christ? This series is called The Hope of All Nations. Well, what is the hope of all nations, church? It's Jesus, and it's Jesus in us. How can we share the hope of all nations if we're not even close to the hope of the world? If we're not close to him, how can we share him with the world? I can retweet, I can reshare all I want, but that shows no depth. It's when you see it in my life. It's when I'm going through a tough time in my marriage that I lean into the spirit of God and he strengthens me and he steadies my waving heart. That's the better hope that we can live in, friends. And I want to implore you, encourage you today, let's not live on the the hope of the law, the hope of religion, the hope of our striving or our ability and our trying. Let's put our trust and faith in the hope of what Jesus did, the better hope. Because he's righteous, because he's good, because he's powerful and he loves you and he loves me. We can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. Mm. Lose my voice, sorry. So, a better hope. A better hope. The second point, you know, I, I'm a history person. History was my undergraduate degree. And um, I'm going to take you on a little trip for history. But the second point is called Beyond the Curtain. Beyond the Curtain. And you know, in the Old Testament, under the law, um, you know, before Jesus came, under the law, there was strict rules of how the Israelites were supposed to worship God. You have to follow A, then B, then C, then D, then you know, E, F, G, H, I. I almost lost the E. I forgot my alphabet for a second. You know, and, but there was strict rules. And there was one person that was, so there was the tribe of Levi. There were a certain tribe of the Israelites. They were the only ones that, um, from that tribe, they were only, like the people of Aaron, blah, 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 priests. They could only serve as priests. Only certain people could be priests. And amongst those certain people, only one person in all Israel could be anointed as the high priest. Well, what is the high priest's job? The high priest's job was to intercede for the people, the nation of Israel, uh, you know, on their behalf to God. And this high priest was allowed one time a year to enter into the tabernacle or the temple, depending on what time you read. And he could go past what was called, it was a curtain that was hung in the very back of that building. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, what is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was, you know, the place where the law was put, but it was the one place on earth where the glory of God would rest. The one place. Can you imagine that? Now we get to worship freely in any building because we're the body of Christ and his presence comes. There was one place that his glory would fall and rest. And that was behind that curtain in in what was called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, only one time a year, and if he did it wrong in any way, the ceremony, he can get zapped dead. That's encouraging. If he didn't follow the commands of God to the T, if he didn't dot every I, cross every T, fulfill it, zap dead. But in Hebrews, we read it earlier, it says that Jesus has become our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus came, and when he shed his blood on the cross, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. 
And the Bible says that now he sits in the throne room of God at the right hand of the Father, forever interceding for you and for me, forever praying for us. And, and I love it because when Jesus died and he released his spirit, it said that the, the, the veil in the temple, the curtain that was covering the presence of God from the rest of people, it was torn in two. It was torn in two. Because of the blood of Jesus, because of this better hope, because of the gospel, you and I can now access the presence of God. Amen. And how many times do we live feeling far away from God? I can't come near God. I can't. Where are you? And he says, when you're covered in my blood, you can walk freely behind the curtain. Amen. You don't have to stay away from the holy of holies. Now we can walk boldly in and access the glory of God. We are able to go into the Holy of Holies, friends. You are able to go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, and draw close to God. Hebrews 7, 25-26 says it really well. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and been given the highest place of honor in heaven. And then Hebrews 6, 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You remember the scripture from the beginning? It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. It leads us through the curtain. Because of this better hope, we don't have to live far from the presence of God now. Is this making sense? Are you, guys, are you guys tracking with, with, with you know, what the Holy Spirit is saying through this? There, it, it's like we live hopeless sometimes when we have full access to all hope that we need. We live weak when we have access to the power. We live far from God when we can draw near and know his heart. Through a better hope, we move beyond the curtain. And the last point, it's for everyone. Can you say that? Everyone. everyone. It's for everyone. You know, one of the worst things I think about, one, one of the worst possible things that we can do to steward this hope that we have is to hold on to it for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a kind of a cliche example that, you know, preachers use, but it's like, if we had the cure for cancer and you cure yourself and hold on to that, I mean, what a waste, because there are you know, millions and billions of people suffering. You have the answer. You have the antidote. You have exactly what they need. Hold on to it. And you know, that's how I lived. And I constantly have to make sure I don't live that way. But that's how many believers, many Christians, that's how many of us sometimes live. I have access to a better hope. I can move beyond the curtain into the temple, into the throne room of God into his presence. And there are millions, billions of people, I dare say, there are nations of the earth that live like you and I used to live, like Ecclesiastes, meaningless. It's all worthless. It's all hopeless. I have nothing to live for. Many people live their lives like that, running from A to B, from this girl to that girl, from this job to that job, hoarding this much money. And once I get that million, once I get that billion, when I get that job, when my wife is, looks like that, when I drive that car, when I move to that country, then I'll be happy. Then something in me will be satisfied. And we know that's not true. 
to move from high to high. Some of us live like that with Jesus. When I go to that revival and that revival and I get touched here and I get this prophetic word and that prophetic word and that prophetic word. When somebody tells me that I'm a prophet, then I'll arrive in hope. Then there's hope for my life. There's meaning for me. I've lived that way. But it's not just for you. It's not just for me. This hope is for the nations. Our church is living that. We have our pastors and team in Cuba. There's hope for Cuba too. Not because we're better, but because Jesus is great. Because his gospel is true. Because there are hopeless people on that island that need to hear. You don't have to be a far away from God any longer. You can receive the blood of Jesus and draw near. And you know, there's somebody that, that showcased this for us beautifully. And it's Abraham. And again, in Hebrews, you read a lot about Abraham. And many of us know Abraham, you know, the promise that God gave Abraham was, one, Abraham and his wife Sarah couldn't conceive. And she was, like, they were both old. Like, old. Physically impossible for her to carry a baby. But God came and spoke to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you as many descendants as sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. Well, that's an impossible promise, but okay. But it didn't just stop there. And he said, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. See, Abraham had a need, and the promise of God met that need. Abraham wanted a son. He wanted a child. And so the promise of God came, and he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that miracle, but it's not just going to stop there, Abraham. This promise that I'm giving you, this word that I'm giving you, this gift that I'm giving you, it's now not just for you and Sarah, but this gift is going to be used to bless United States, Brazil, Argentina, China. You know, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So, and, and us, because Jesus came through that line, that lineage of Abraham, we carry that same promise, friends. And with this gospel that we carry... We have to share it with every nation. Amen. There is hope for the rest of the world to be close to God. We have the answer to that. Not because we're better, but because we've experienced the mercy of Jesus. We carry this gospel. We have the promise of Abraham that all the descendants of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed we carry the power of God for people to be saved, snatched out of a life, headed straight to hell. And we have the anointing and the calling to share that gospel. See, this is a fire that burns in me, even preaching about hope. It, 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 it ignites inside of me. We have to share the gospel. Amen. We have to share it. Because I remember what it felt like to be hopeless. I remember being that young kid in high school, living in sin, but wanting, oh God, wanting so much to be close to God. Knowing that his word was real, but it wasn't real in me. Knowing that his love and acceptance was there, but I couldn't access it. Or at least I thought I couldn't. Do you remember what that felt like? You see, hope fosters closeness. This better hope, it leads us through the curtain. But it doesn't just stop there. 
We go into that curtain. We go beyond the curtain into the presence of God. And when we're in the presence of Jesus, we get everything that we need. You know what I mean? Like Abraham got that promise and, and you know, he was obedient to God. And so he got a, he got a son. He had descendants. That's what he's asked for. But it, 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 was, it moves beyond that, you know? We need the power of God to minister the gospel to the nations. How do we get that? Go beyond the curtain. I need the anointing, Caleb. I'm trying to lay hands on sick people who are not getting healed. Okay, I have the answer. Go beyond the curtain. Jesus is called the anointed one. How about you rub shoulders with Jesus? You'll get his anointing. I need, I need power. I need healing in my life. Jesus is the healer. So move beyond the curtain into his presence and receive healing and the power to heal. I need deliverance. There's a bondage in my life. I can't seem to shake free of it. Okay, Jesus is the deliverer. Move beyond the curtain into his presence. Receive deliverance and it doesn't stop there. Get the power to help deliver other people. And so I, I just want us as a church, this word is burning in me for us to get activated even more. You know, we're sending teams to Cuba and that's awesome and powerful. But there are nations of the earth in your workplace that need the hope of the gospel. There are nations of the earth in your school that need the hope of the gospel. There are nations of the earth. Nations isn't just country boundary lines. It's every tribe, tongue, language, person. Every person needs that hope. We have that hope. We don't need to live hopeless any longer, struggling to keep ourselves saved. We can move beyond that, friends. We can move because of the better hope based on Jesus' righteousness past the curtain into the presence with the power Amen. and preach it to the whole world. Amen. So when we talk about Christmas and the hope of the nations, that's what that means. I've been so convicted for this because in a way my life sometimes feels like I'm in a, a Christian bubble. I work with Pastor Julian and Alex, the hospitality director. I mean, they're my coworkers. I don't need to preach the gospel to my pastor, do I? You know, I feel like I live in this bubble, and sometimes I know that I let that be an excuse keeping me from reaching the world. What am I doing? What are we doing? Do you remember what it felt like? I heard Pastor, um, pastor Robbie Zacharias. Uh, we were at a dinner with Alex and Alicia, Bree and I, and... Uh, he said something. I didn't mean to share this, but it was just so powerful. At this dinner, he said, he was talking about Nehemiah and rebuilding the walls and purpose. And he says, until you get a pressure in your soul, there's no power. Because it said that Nehemiah labored in prayer for three to four months because his brother told him that, you know, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And he labored in prayer for three months. But as he labored in prayer, that pr pressure in his soul, it, he could not not do something about it. He lived in luxury. With, the king was his boss. And the king trusted him. I never thought about this, but the king's cupbearer is what Nehemiah was. The cupbearer's job was to drink the, drink the wine from the cup and you know, taste the food, make sure nothing was poisoned so the king would die. So literally, he was like, if somebody tried to kill the king, Nehemiah would die. And then the king would be like, oh, well, I shouldn't eat that. Think of the trust that the king had in Nehemiah. I want, because 
me, me and Micah just, oh, yeah, I tasted it. Dead. You know? The kind of trust and blessing, that luxury that Nehemiah lived in. But when he heard that his city, the city of God, Jerusalem, was broken down, the pressure weighed on his soul. And, he, and the king said, Nehemiah, why do you look so sad? He said, how could I not be sad when my city, the city of God, lays in ruins? How can I not carry a weight on my soul? I have to do something. And he went with a plan to rebuild the walls and the walls were rebuilt until the pressure bears in our soul. That's where the power comes. And I find myself without a pressure in my soul many times. Is there a pressure in your soul? Maybe the pressure in your soul, if the worship team could come up, maybe the pressure in your soul is, God, my kids need to know you. God, my kids need to experience your power. Maybe the pressure in your soul is, God, my husband or my wife needs to know you. Maybe the pressure in your soul is, God, there's friends at my school that don't know you, and they need to know you. The Holy Spirit is inviting us, friends, not just to get hope in our lives for us. Like Abraham there are many areas of hopelessness that we experience and today move beyond the curtain and experience hope revived in you. But it doesn't just stop there. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to release a pressure in our souls. He wants to release in us a pressure so that, so that we begin to pray and yearn, not just God, fix my problems. Something else I've heard Pastor Hunter say, and somebody had once said, if all, of your if all of your prayers were answered right now, would it change anybody's life but your own? If all of my prayers were answered, how many lives would I truly affect? I need a pressure in my soul. Spirit wants to meet needs today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to find areas of hopelessness in your life. And as you and I move beyond the curtain into his presence and we lift up our needs to him, he'll meet us. But even more than that, I believe there are people in here like me. We need to move just beyond receiving hope for ourselves. And it's Jesus. I have the hope of the nations. Put a pressure in my soul for somebody. Put a pressure in my soul for my school. Put a pressure in my soul for my family. Put a pressure in my soul for my coworkers. Put a pressure in my soul, Jesus. I want to be like Nehemiah. Because I have the hope that breaks the power of hopelessness. I have access to the hope that sets the captive free. I have access to the hope that heals the brokenhearted. I need a pressure so that I can be used to heal the brokenhearted.
not called to just draw near to God and only celebrate our closeness. The closeness equips us to share the good news with others so that the gospel is shared with the whole earth. This hope of the nations, the hope of the nations is Jesus. And if we carry the message of Jesus, we carry the hope of the nations. How selfish if I don't share the hope with the nations that need it because somebody shared that hope with me. Somebody went out of their comfort zone to tell me, Caleb, you're living in sin, but I have the antidote. His name is Jesus. And he went to the cross for you. Perfect son of God came close because you couldn't come close. He put his, your sins, my sins on his shoulders. himself to be nailed to that wooden cross why so that we can move beyond the curtain into close fellowship with God so that this earth could know and come to closeness with him